Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi everybody and welcome to Trek Culture's podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sean Ferrick. I'm Paul Sutherland. And we are joined by a very special guest this week, James Chambers, who you might know from the internet as Lore Reloaded. James, how are you getting on? Doing well, living, living that dream. I'm, uh, I'm on the most popular podcast uh, with the most uh, well-known and greatest people on uh, the best uh, channel ever. So, you know, it's, things are just looking up for me. You absolute sweetheart. You got that check, right? I did. I did. Cool. Yeah, sweet. You absolute sweetheart. Good. Good. Yeah, cool. They've really piled up for me. Paul, you did did get your CBS checks, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I have nothing clever to say about it. This joke is old. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) That means someone didn't get their checks. Okay. Who's joking? It's like, wait a second. Can we cut that? Cut that out. Cut it. Cut it. Uh, James, sorry, really quickly. Obviously, we know who you are, you lovely man. But for the people who are just joining and meeting you this evening, who are you and why are you here? Uh, like as you guys said, I'm with the Lore Reloaded. I like to think I'm with a science fiction channel. Most people actually know me for Star Trek, though. Uh, at <laughs> YouTube.com forward slash Lore Reloaded. I talk. Uh, generally, the best way I like to break it down is I kind of am a critic but the way i do it is while most critics will uh look at scenes or look at films i kind of look at universes and so i break things down in a more documentary style and uh, look at it from a canon perspective versus that of uh how a real life or normal we'll say normal critic may do it so that's kind of the stuff i look at as a critic i just talk about the stuff that i don't like for no reason now I mean, we know it's where the checks went. One hundred percent, yeah. Like, and it's it's got us through a series of podcasts so far. So, Paulie, please never change. Um, this week, uh, it's it's pretty straightforward in a way. Star Trek twenty twenty. What a year! Best year, some might say. Like, really, was there for us? I think. Yeah, it was definitely necessary, at least. Yeah, it kind of... Um, I mean, I don't know about you guys, we were having some sort of thing going on here in the country. Um, it uh, distracted from an awful lot of what was going on outside, which meant I spent a lot of time inside. So I was kind of delighted to get as much Trek as we did. Uh, we were kind of spoiled for choice. Well, not just choice, but variety, I think. There was... Um, it was very uh, different. It was something... I don't know that it was something for everyone, but there was definitely something different there. Almost every, what was it, six weeks or whatever it was, ten weeks? Yeah, actually, because we kicked off, it was April last year, and actually, do you know what, Paul, I'm going to ask this one to yourself, so, because there was three different series came out last year, and I think, that, why don't you kick us off with the first of the series last year? Okay, well, that was actually January last year, so we're actually coming up on a year uh, since Star Trek Picard premiered. Uh, Before that, there was actually a short trek uh, that was geared towards Star Trek Picard called Children of Men. Right? Children of Men? Children Children of of Men. Great film starring Clive (laughs) Owen. Children of Mars. You know, I just watched Children of Men last night, so that's where my mind is. Um, So, yeah, um, we're coming up on the first anniversary of Star Trek Picard's premiere episode, uh, Remembrance, which sticks out to me as one of the strongest points in the franchise this year or last year in 2020 um also for me one of the stronger uh episodes from the cbs era that we're currently enjoying 
Um, but I think you know, like everybody, everybody loved Nepenthe. Uh, that was like the crowd pleaser from Star Trek Picard. Um, but I think the strongest episode that like really stands out to me was uh, the Impossible Box, um, which was the more Borg centric episode. Picard uh, reunites with Hugh, and you know he uh, you know gets a little tour of the Borg reclamation site and gets a new perspective on the Borg. And I actually think that um, as far as like Star Trek Picard's premise goes, it was like the Impossible Box was like the uh, <laughs> the uh, quintessential Star Trek Picard episode. It kind of followed up on a Star Trek: The Next Generation thread, and you know, charted its own course within that new series. Sorry for the long rant. How'd you feel about? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just going to ask, how'd you feel about the uh, Federation Romulan relations and all of that? How that seemed to work out. I just didn't think that it was very uh, thoroughly sketched, and you know, this was something that. Um, you know, I, you had mentioned before we started recording that you really considered the 24th century Federation in Picard to be a dystopia. And mm-hmm. uh, my, so my argument is that it's not only because we are only getting it from a certain perspective in Star Trek Picard. We're only getting it from the perspective of several disillusioned Starfleet officers or ex-Starfleet officers. So it's not really easy to get a good grasp on what's going on in the Federation. Uh, well, I think we're saving this for the special piece. At, I'm, I'm happy to have that discussion, but um, I, I my counter would be, and something to think about maybe if we wanted to save it for the, the end, though, is that we don't even need to look at it from their side of view. We just have to look at the scenes that we're presented with as well as the events that have occurred and Starfleet overall. So when you look at, um, when it shows us, what is it? Is it New York? Is it New York? Where they show San Francisco? Uh, oh, where, oh um, yes. Yeah. Anyway, the city where, um, what's her name is. Oh, oh wow. if it's Dash, I actually think Dash. that's Boston. It's Boston. Boston. Yeah. It's, it's grimy. It's, uh, it's dirty. It, uh, crime can occur and no one happens. And if we remember in Deep Space Nine pre-Dominion War, they hadn't seen crime. It was gone. It had been eliminated, at least according to a few officers. Uh, it, um... I, you look at how the Federation, they're pulled back. They become isolationist. The Romulans are uh, scattered throughout. Most of them poor. Most of them just trying to survive. I, I get that it's a slice, but I, I think we have quite a bit there to at least see that it has fallen into more of a, a dystopian mix. I And I, I'll say this. I think... That's the I think that's good story writing because I think that's the natural consequence of the Dominion War. So it's the way they should have went. But I still think it's dystopian. Does that make sense or not really? Yeah, absolutely. And I I don't disagree with you. I just don't know if the show paints a complete picture of the Federation and Starfleet yet. I mean, you know, it, it's certainly <laughs> they're certainly trying to paint a grayer portrait of the Federation. Um, but I just don't like really have like a, enough of like a sample of like Starfleet's activities in Picard's era to really, you know, make one like, you know, firm stance on it. Okay. Uh, so my only counter to that, I guess would be, uh, is then I guess you would have to say, or would you say that what we see in the original series, the next generation, uh, and well, deep space nine pre dominion war is that maybe they don't live in a utopia. Maybe that's all a lie and it's all actually really grunge in this huge dystopia because technically we're only seeing it from, the point of view of care, especially TNG, where it's like the most elite officers, right? Because it's mm-hmm. the flagship. So, is that really what it's like? You know, I actually I'm going to jump in here because I uh, there's a a line from DS now. It's you, you'll know the line straight away from DS Nine. It's from the Maquis two parter, and let Cisco. Me, before you, before you say it, I, I'm not going to say it all, but let me let me say. Uh, paradise is in the that line. is exactly okay, yeah. the quote. <laughs> I knew, and I th- I think it's because I think it speaks to kind of what both of you are saying. Cisco obviously calls out it's easy to be a saint in paradise. I think worlds like Earth, the, the core worlds, Earth, which l- largely I think from what we see in Picard, you still get to see the shiny side of San Francisco. Um, obviously, then Boston, as you've described it, it is a bit. It feels a bit more lived in, which is my nice way of saying that. Um, or of course, then you have this idyllic 
uh, in Le Bar, the vineyard in Le Bar in France. It's, you know, where wouldn't we all love to have a weekend place like that? Right. And then you have, now it's not yeah. a federation world, or at least it's, I think, is it Vashti is no longer a federation okay. world? Um, but uh, it's, once you move outside of the core worlds, you do start to see kind of the not the, the how how would you describe it the dusty frontier you know the kind of what ds9 was in you know emissary how bashir described it as out here in the wilderness and then gets that wonderful smackdown from kieran arise this wilderness is my home it's very right. firefly i think i think i think the way the mm-hmm. ultimate picture we get i don't know if you guys have seen firefly oh god but yeah. uh the um the picture of it is that the inner core always and even in tng you really can make that opinion the inner core they have everything they do everything all of the greatest technologies come there and then the farther out from the inner core you get uh the more and more uh rustic we'll say it becomes uh, and it, so yeah I'd, I'd agree i think it has a, a very firefly appeal at least pre uh, Dominion War, and and again, you could absolutely be. I'm not saying you're wrong. I was just curious in your interpretation because it it all comes down to wh- how we see. Because right. like you said, they haven't really told us. I, I would also say, I'm, go ahead, Paul. If I'm interrupting, I talk a lot. I'm used to it. Cause no, no, please. Uh, this is a podcast, so please talk a lot. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. the, the only other thing I would say is they introduce capitalism into it, and just from a storytelling narrative. For everybody in the comments, this is just saying what they've done on Star Trek. And no one here is making an opinion one way or the other. From a storytelling narrative, uh, capitalism has usually had a negative vibe to it. And so the reintroduction where the main characters use it may be a way of, of showing somewhat of a decrease, right? Because, again, in TNG, uh, into DS9, and even Voyager, they talked about how they generally don't need capitalism all that much anymore and i think the reintroduction in need of it might be a storytelling narrative of way to show well so all of these darker trappings of star trek picard do you think that that did that detract from your overall enjoyment of the series i think you know here's the thing i think that it is if they had made it still happy-go-lucky and everybody's doing great, that's not realistic in my opinion. I think after the Dominion War, this is the natural uh, way for it to go. Did it detract for me? No, but I can understand where it would detract from others. Disco era Trek... I call it Disco era. I don't know. Um, Trek under Kurtzman era uh, is is significantly different from Legacy era, from anything that came before it. And so it's just different. I, good or better is, is up to the person. For me, the, I, I find it really interesting to look into those things to see how the Federation deals at its lowest, because I think we've seen it at its highest. Hmm. So, I mean, I'm not arguing that Star Trek Picard was, you know, the best uh, that we've seen out of the, you know, current era overall. Um, for me, it was my favorite of the three uh, series that uh, came out in 2020, um, specifically just because of the storytelling and the character development. I thought that was like a lot cleaner and a lot sharper than what we've gotten out of Discovery. Though, I mean, Lower Decks is just in its whole other category, which we'll save for later. Um, but uh, what did you guys, I mean, like, what, what are you guys, what are your feelings on Star Trek Picard a year later now? Well, James, I'll... I'll, I'll... I'll wrap it up. How, how, how do you feel about it? Where does it kind of sit for you in 2020, Trek? I, my, my thing is, I just don't think... I think what hurts it for me is not the the dystopian tones that I got from it. Uh, and I'm sorry if I gave off that opinion. Um, I think for me, it just feels like they had opportunities that they didn't take. And sometimes there were consequences that... Uh, there, were, there were actions that the heroes didn't have any consequences for. And so it's it's a mixture of those two things. It's definitely better than season two Discovery. And, I, and I've said this before, I've said this on my channel. I think definitively uh, they continue to raise the bar, right? So uh, they had Discovery season two. I 
it was all right. It was better than season one. I'm not a huge fan of season two. They had Picard, which was better than Discovery season two. Lower Decks is my favorite of all of them. And then Discovery season three is a season I actually liked. So I, I think that they they really, I think they listened and, and incorporated, not just to everyone who was screaming, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. But to those who were like, we don't like Discovery season one and season two. This isn't, this isn't Trek for us. I think they listened. And so there are things that bug me about it. I'm not, it's, it's probably one of the lower ones uh, for 2020, but that doesn't mean it's bad or it's, it's how I thought of season one Discovery for sure. I think as well. I, I definitely like it's, it's a it's a positive mixed bag for me. I agree with you, Paul. I loved. I thought Remembrance was a great intro. I thought it was dropped us with that beautiful shot of the Enterprise D, um, which I, I I appreciated how obviously it's very very short, but I like how they managed to modern to bring it a little bit closer into current aesthetic while still not pulling a a refit one seven zero one on it, even though I really like that design. Um, it, it it for me it suffered a little bit with pacing. Um, I, I it definitely is a slower pace than Discovery, but it's still much quicker than say we'd be used to seeing these particular characters in. And that for me took a little bit. Of, it might have taken a little more than ten episodes to get used to that. Um, you're right in saying Nepenthe is still up there with my my favorite episodes of the season uh, for the obvious reasons. Really, I think there is so much chemistry between the characters already there, uh, and I've I've said this many times before. But for me, the MVP of that episode was Marina Sirtis. Uh, yeah. I think it's potentially the best she's ever been as the character. I know it's oddly shorter, but oh, overall, I really liked it. Delighted we have it. There's there's, there's right. that as well. So like, I'm you know. This sounds like such a, you know, all of my kids are special kind of moment, but I'm delighted that we have it, that we can make these criticisms because they're small enough criticisms. There is a big criticism, and this is spoiler territory, everybody, and this, James, goes to what you were saying about characters whose actions don't have consequences. Agnes Jurati. I think I, I think we're all on the same page about that one. Yeah, I- I mean, I can only assume that that consequences will come later, or will at least get lip service about consequences. I know that that final scene uh, in the finale is supposed to have taken place a bit of a you know a bit of a time jump after the main events of the episode. Yeah, the, uh, I think Agnes is kind of what is going back that there are not just actions and consequences, but there are just some things that they never doesn't make sense or they don't really follow up on. As I said, I, I loved Agnes. So I did a rewatch and, um, towards the end of Picard on my first watch, couldn't stand Agnes. I was done with that character. And then I did a rewatch and then I remembered, Oh yeah, I really liked her starting out. Yeah. I really enjoyed this. This is a smart character, uh, someone who is at the top of her game for what she does. She's hopeful, but she's in this situation she cannot win. And um, and she's just, you know, she's uh, not street smart. She's just bumbling through it. And it, they just, they went through her. And again, it's another symptom. It's kind of like, and this is spoiler territory too. We can spoil this one, can't we? People have seen, or they're able to go and watch Picard, right? Right. Yes, that's all available over a, here, yeah. This isn't a lower deck situation. Okay. Um, going back to, like, Marina Sirtes, uh or Sirtis? I'm never good with her name. Uh, I didn't... Those scenes and those episodes were fine. I didn't really have any issues. But the what happened with the child never made a ton of sense to me. Mm. In that I get that while things can be outlawed, even in the real world, things that are outlawed, there can be emergency agreements to allow them to happen. And the outlawing of the AI like they did didn't seem to be... I I can't see the extreme amount of nature of harm just allowing one AI brain to exist. You, You wouldn't even need to have it advanced or anything like that. So that didn't land for me. It seemed to just be there just to tug at heartstrings. Yeah, I think it's... Couldn't they have just switched on B4? It was illegal to do any of that. Yeah, who, of 
who knows? And aside from the technobabble kind of like quibbles, I think that that actually goes to a larger criticism for me of the season was that the synth ban, um, it, it tied into every character's arc in a way that I thought was a little unnatural. And the darker trajectory of these characters' arcs kind of made the characters a little bit of like a disappointment where, you know, like Agnes really seemed like a great, cute, fun intelligent new character who could be like an audience surrogate and she ends up a murderer you know because she's been brainwashed by the Zotvash right Zotvash uh so it's a li- see what ev- what evidence of that too that's my problem too was she can brainwashed you provide yeah me- yeah exactly yeah, can was. you provide me evidence beyond okay can you can you tell me dialogue or where, where I don't think she was, was Paul because really, all they was- said all all because all she said is, I saw what would happen, and so I decided to, to murder this innocent man who couldn't defend himself. Never at any point do we see any evidence that it was mind control. She simply saw the signal. Okay, that's well, it. She, she went through the admonition. Sorry, and, Paul. And, yep. that, and, and that was a... I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you too, but just, just to the other piece to it, is that was a big deal on it, is that the signal was always meant for synthetics, so that's why everybody went crazy when they saw it, because our, our mortal brains can't understand it. I'm sorry, go ahead, Paul. No, I, 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 I can't cite to you, unfortunately, any dialogue because it's been too long since I've watched the show. So maybe once we rewatch it, I'll have like a different position on it uh, because we're definitely going to do a Star Trek Picard rewatch episode at some point. Yes. Uh, purely because I want to rewatch Star Trek Picard. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, whether she's brainwashed or not, I think it was a disappointing development for the character. I think that you know like again my biggest criticism of Picard is that all the characters arcs kind of ended up being a little disappointing to me a little bit too dark I know that's like a, re- a repeating c- complaint about this era of Star Trek especially pre-Discovery season 3 and pre-Lower Decks was it was too dark um, but let me, let's just finish out Star Trek Picard and uh, I'm just going to circle back and say that like the essential Star Trek Picard episode for me is the impossible box because it wraps up Picard's storyline from the next generation and Star Trek first contact in a way that first contact never grappled with Picard begins the movie hating the Borg and ends the movie hating the Borg. And while he had every reason to that relationship just doesn't evolve very much over the course of TNG and the movies. And I love that the impossible box gave Picard a little bit of closure and like a new perspective on the Borg in a way that I found emotionally satisfying and perfect for this kind of TNG continuation series, though not really. Can, can I add something I liked to it, too, that, that I see a lot of criticisms about? And Paul's like, please, God, let's just... <laughs> can I please? Uh, I, one thing it continued that I enjoyed was there are two things when you look at the universe, not necessarily the writing, and that is that AI has always been an issue for Starfleet. Uh, the original series, The Next Generation, I don't know that DS9 touched on it, but a lot of the history of Starfleet, AI has has been a problem. And so for them to bring synths in is very consistent, adds a lot of continuity, even though people say it doesn't. When you look at it, it really does. And um, the use of the Borg and the Romulans, I have, a, I have some issues with the way they did the Romulans, but the Romulans having the Borg cube... Um, and the interaction with the Federation and how they handle things. I liked those, and I thought that was very consistent and very in uh, theme. And so maybe we don't like... if Even if you don't like the plot or the story, it's not outside of the realm of what Legacy Trek or um, pre-Kurtzman Trek would have done. Yeah. yeah. Well, say what you will about Discovery Season 1. They made a concerted, like, good-faith effort uh, to at expanding like the Klingon mythology and the Klingon culture and try to make them a little bit less like monolithic um, to you know varying success and I think Star Trek Picard kind of took the Romulans and made them a little bit more interesting than they were you know by showing us different uh, several different elements of their culture so you know props to them for that I think Sean I'm just going to give you the last word on Star Trek Picard before we move on to James's thoughts on Lower Decks uh, it was dreadful. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. Really liked it. I think, yeah, we've we've covered it pretty well. I'm I'm looking forward to season two. Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Lower Decks. I think it's kind of interesting for me because Lower Decks is simultaneously probably the best Trek we've had in the Kurtzman era, and yet uh, 
in order for it to be okay with what I do, because I, as I said, I do everything in canon. I do everything through the universe. I have to just accept that it's a cartoon to a degree and let some of that stuff go, which I think speaks to its writing and how it can engage you because I'm willing to let some of the more cartoony aspects of it go because everything else is, is done really well. Uh, and you know, I don't want to give any, any spoilers or anything like that, but I think that it's good to even contrast it against like Picard because there are specific characters and specific arcs like with, I'm not going to say what it is, but with like with Mariner or Boimler where they, go through a change throughout the series and uh, at least one of them has a culmination of their character which is done excessively well uh, I know I know a lot of people like the finale I like the finale but it wasn't the best for me it wasn't my most favorite just because I really enjoyed the character building and watching the the characters grow and how they change so overall I think it's it's probably the best uh, 2020 Trek shows that we have out there there i have complaints here and there but nowhere near what i have with like season three discovery or picard I yeah think, i think we'd all agree uh, that 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 was that yeah. lower deck season one was the what the, yeah the best yeah it was it was the high point certainly for for ourselves i think in speaking speaking just for myself it was a very pleasant surprise um i have seen some of michael man stuff before i was a little bit aware of tng season eight which he's, I've gone back and revisited. So I knew he was good. I don't think I was expecting it to be as good as it was. And I remember seeing that first picture of the USS Cerritos. And I remember going like, well, I mean, it's clearly TNG era, but I don't know. Now I love it. I'm totally like, and very quickly, like by the end of the first episode, I was like, no, do you know what? I really like the California class. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I came in pretty skeptical. I'll be honest with you because, uh, I was not a fan of... I, I've discussed this. I was not a fan of Discovery. Picard was all right. It was better, but I wasn't a fan of it. And then they're like, yeah, this is going to be the um, second contact ship. This is going to be the ship that comes after the first contact. And that cannot be further away from what we've been told when it comes to the original Trek, where it's all about uh, humans being the pinnacle of where they are and the ships are immaculate and everything. And so now you're, you're just going to make fun for the next... Uh, how many ever episodes of Trek and everything, but I, I think it did really well. I agree. I didn't like the concept. I, I didn't. I won't say what I didn't like. I was nervous about the concept, but overall, it was great. I mean, the great thing about it is it turned out that it wasn't making fun. You yeah. Know? Yeah. 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 And well, and that's the thing. I think the points where it makes fun, everyone makes fun of it. I think they had a really good grasp on what uh, Trek, um, the Trek fandom finds not to make any sense finds to to be silly and they make fun of that but they take it seriously in that with the character development or what's going on i also love that they really show what it's like to be in the lower decks because if you've ever noticed the major plot that's going to destroy this generally the major plot that's going to destroy the solar system or something's going to happen and it's going to negatively impact like the federation as a whole that's just a Monday or a Tuesday. Sometimes it's not even the main plot. It's just happening in the background, which is such a, a differentiation of what we see. I think that's great. Yeah, aside from just showing like daily life in the Star Trek universe, which I really appreciate just how chill a lot of the scenes are where they're talking about like their food rations or what kind of quarters they're going to get. Um, I appreciate that Lower Decks, especially Mariner, but all of them, all of the characters in Lower Decks seem to love that they live in the Star Trek universe, and Mariner is like a huge Star Trek geek living in the Star Trek universe, and and it's that like is like a clear like translation of the love that the writers have for the franchise, um, you know. So I, I just think there's like so much joy in like that depiction of the universe. There was a lot of I, I feel as well. Um, it's easily again I won't because he. I, here on this side of the pond, we're only getting uh, lower decks this coming Friday. How am I talking about these things? I will not tell. But um, so I don't want to give any spoilers away. This is kind of so. Once upon a time, the film Airplane was described to me that they made a funny film, and then they went back to the first frame and they paused 
every single scene to think how many more jokes can I get into each frame and that feels to me almost like how they did Lower Decks because there is so much there to enjoy there's so many gags and so many sight references that you know for me as a lifelong Trekkie I appreciated it even more and so question to you both would you have enjoyed it as much if you were not a Trekkie It's impossible to answer that question, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's, I mean, I, you're talking to the guy who created an eight-hour breakdown of the Dominion War, which can be found at youtube.com forward slash lore reload. Um, yeah, I wonder when you're going to finish that one. It's only eight hours. Come on, let's yeah, get the other race. Yeah. <laughs> so much more to do. Um, I think that my problem is, because it's hard for me to see, but... If it can be accessible enough where they're not like, what's Starfleet, what's the Federation, uh, you know, things like that. If they can enter the world, then I think they can enjoy it. I would not suggest it as the first watch because I think that if you're a Trekkie when you go into watching it, it'll be so much better because this really is a reference heavy show. And so if you get the references you'll enjoy it so much better. That's not to say that you can't enjoy it the way it is, but it's one of those things where I'd suggest uh, watching like a TNG or a DS9 or even uh, a Discovery first before watching uh, Lower Decks, just so you know the world you're entering into. Well, so James, let me ask you this, since you're a canon guy, um, what specifically, and this is a little bit of spoilers territory, we're not going to tell you exactly how the show like ends or something, or like the, give away the biggest surprises of the, of the season. We'll talk about that next week when we do our Lower Decks Season 1 podcast. But James, um, what specifically about Season 1 do you find hard to reconcile with canon? Like, what's... T- what's too cartoony for you? Because I actually didn't think anything was really off limits. Star Trek is a crazy universe, so the fact that they made it a little bit crazier didn't seem like that off to me. Uh, I can't... There's nothing I can say without uh, hurting an individual episode. I will say, why is he smiling? What's that mean? Right. And anyone who's seen it will understand what I'm talking... Loved it, by the way. Was laughing so hard, it was awesome. You're just asking me from a canon-type deal. Um... I will also say that there are things that work on cartoon logic that would not, even even in the fantastical world of, of Star Trek, wouldn't make necessarily a lot of sense live action. Mm. And so some of that you just have to, to give up. And it's just, what it is, is it's little pieces here and there. And as long as you can let that go, and I've said this before, people who uh, get upset or get really focused on that if you can find some way to let that go because that's less than in my opinion like two or three percent of the overall work if you can just let that go then i think you can really enjoy it um maybe if i get invited back once it's on uh, the uk side i'd be happy to go over some of the specific instances but for the most part it's just little pieces here and there cartoon logic and then things that are so they're they're made for comedy uh, that they wouldn't fit in a TNG episode or even a Discovery episode. Sure. So do you have like an essential episode that you you think like encapsulates Lower Decks? You know, here's the thing. As I said, I, I work in universes, not necessarily uh, in episodes specifically. I would say that the, I'd say Crisis Point is one of the most fantastical episodes, not because of... Um, its premise, but because of how it brings everyone together and how everybody grows for it. But to get there, you probably have to watch most all of Lower Decks. Uh, I think the finale really was good as a one-off, and the one that I would honestly suggest is, and I had all of the episodes pulled up, but of course they're all gone now, because why would they stay up here? i probably turn them down. I would say to watch... Um, Oh, which one is it? It's the one you guys probably know. It's the one. Oh man, I can't give spoilers, can I? Uh, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. High, spoiler. high ringing. If that help, one of the characters uh, has to do. Here we go. Has to do with transporters. Ah, That's a big yeah. part of uh, what happened. Yes, which spurs off. Took and me. then I mean, no, I haven't seen it. <laughs> but. <laughs> If you had to guess on which name the episode was, I can't look at which one it is. Maybe it's, it's much, much ado about Boimler, is it not? Yeah, much. Ado, yeah. yeah, I think it's much ado about Boimler. I think that's a good one-off as well. I really liked that one. 
I really liked Moist Vessel. I think that that one was like a really good, you know, I'm all about like the distilling the premise of a series down. And I think Moist Vessel did that for me really well. That's the one with the generation ship full of yeah. mummies. Yeah. I got, I got to say, Mariner is my waifu. I love that character more than I love life itself. Um, let me ask you this, though. I, I'd be really, really interested. Uh, uh, one, of my, one of the things I think they did wrong, one of the things I hate, is I think that um, the secondary characters, the, the back characters, uh, the Orion girl, who's most people's waifu, and um, so, Sam. Yeah, Tindy yeah, and yeah. Sam. Mm. By the way, his name is, what was his name? It's like mm. Samantha or something? Oh yeah, it's it's not say Samuel or something. It's it's no, uh, it's Samantha or something, which I thought was cool. I was like, hey, mm-hmm. way, way to go there. I didn't. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, I don't think they did much with those characters. I think those characters are glorified uh, secondary characters, and I really hate that because I'd love to see an expansion. I definitely yeah, season two. Yeah, sorry, but I would like to see much more of them. Um, and- Unfortunately, they like they like broke the two the, the group into two groups, which was a little bit annoying. And so, you, like you had Boimler and Mariner stories, and Tendi and Rutherford stories, and they rarely crossed over, which is a little bit of a, a shame uh, for the format. I also think that they got a little too they they got a little too much mileage out of the uh, the command crew in season one, given that the show's about the lower decks crew. You know, like there's a lot of interaction with the captain and first officer. Yeah, they could have scaled that back and focused more on Tindy and Rutherford. I, I agree. And I I think the command crew... I li- the, thing, the thing, too, though, is I like that the command crew at least grew a little bit. I think it's a little inconsistent or fast, um, the arcs we see. But uh, I like that there was at least something there to them. And in the United States, I'm not sure how it's being propositioned in... Uh, in uh, the UK or any any place that's not the United States, since I can't think of continents right now or countries, um, they made it seem like these guys are like all they are is just jerks or uh, people who really are just not really the best human beings, and I think that that was a detriment to who to the depth that we have with them. You know, you know, I, I don't think know I. How I the I disagree a little bit, though. Um, I, I don't remember the episode title. It's one of the first three or four. Um, Rutherford uh, switches divisions three or four times within the right. course of the episode, and oh, yeah. he he joins every time he he quits one division to to join another one. Rather than getting like the standard sitcom, you know, people hate him for his you know his career choices. Everybody's like, oh, great job! Like, you know, hope hope you have a good time, you know, in your other new job. Like, I, I appreciated that in in Lower Decks. Right. Yeah, there is like a bit of interpersonal conflict, but for the most part, they all seem to kind of like really be nice people. Right. No, and that's what I'm saying. In the commercials, for me, they were made to be like these jerks, these horrible people. But they actually care. Most mm. of them. I think you can make arguments. Some of them, don't. but most of them actually care. And it was a, that's a that's one of the points that I think is a great callback because people change divisions and departments like they're putting on a, a new pair of pajamas or whatever. So obviously they'd have to be like, well, that's great. Just go and have fun. And we're so glad. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I'll tell you, I don't want to give it away, but uh, when he goes into the command division, that's the best part of that episode. Uh, that is. I think I think we'll yeah. leave it. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's probably a good place to leave it there. Uh, definitely, so we will have to get you back on when we can go full spoilers on Lower Decks because there's so many moments that are now um, running through my head going like, oh, I want to talk about this, I want to talk about this, but no. So it, it all drops on Amazon Prime uh, in you know Europe, I think Australia, New Zealand, a uh, load of countries this coming Friday. So please everyone binge it over the weekend and we'll pick it up again as soon as possible. For me... Uh, 2020 Star Trek went Discovery Season 3 in third place, uh, Star Trek Picard in second place, and Lower Decks in first place. Uh, would you, any either of you disagree, agree with that ranking? I totally agree. Uh, I would actually disagree. I'd say Lower Decks, uh, for sure, would be Season 1. I think Discovery would be Season 2, would be number 2, and then I think Picard would be a number three and honestly and, and here's that's I'm going to say this but I will caveat to say that that doesn't mean that Picard is the worst thing ever or that there aren't good concepts in it or that it's not track or anything like that but I would say season, I would say Discovery and Lower Decks good Trek for the for the year Picard probably 
I'll say bad track, but that's just for lack of a better word. I think it's 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 left wanting, personally. Um, but it's not the worst trek ever. But that's just left me. left wanting is actually a really good segue for the news section, in which we discuss Star Trek Picard season two. For over two centuries, you're listening to the Federation News Network. Grant, so 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 yeah, so so what we have is we only have a couple of things that have been kind of confirmed. Um, one is that it begins production on the first of February, so we're still we're still a while a while off seeing season two. I'd say we're at least looking at 2022. I would imagine, especially with everything is still the way that it is, but. Patrick Stewart gave an interview recently uh, with Gold Darby, and I'm sure we'll be able to link that somewhere, where he talks about there is, as he says, a super secret human element that is about to be introduced to Picard that he definitely can't talk about. Now, I don't think it would be too... um, I've lost the words. Me? Speak English? That's that's impossible. Uh, I think it's Geordie. Uh, and I think the fact that Picard is now an android spoiler um, I think that would be a nice way in but also Paul Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Oh, I just think it's Beverly. It's got to be Beverly, yeah. or both of them, or you know. When you say human element, what what do you mean? There's going to be a new person, or there's just something to do with humans coming up. Joe, you know it's it, that's a good question because it's it's phrased in such no, it's phrased in such a way that I took from it new character, but it could be that there will have to be. He, he in the same interview he says something about like they're not just going to be like. Oh, he's a golem now. Never, don't worry about it. Like that is going to be addressed. The fact that he is now—it's not the body he spent the last ninety years in. So, and which I'm okay with. But I do hope, touch wood, that they won't spend ten episodes of "What Am I?" You know, you know who it should be. Who it should be. Hold on. Um, Star Trek Picard, Picard's uh, Romulan assistants. Um, oh, they need to be in it. The Laris. Best, the best characters. Yeah, Laris, the, the um, best characters in all of Star Trek Picard, had it been there, would have been number one for me. That They need to come back. That's who oh, it yeah. is. Yeah. 100%. And I'd say full um, Orla Brady, who is amazing. She's Irish, like me, so I love her anyway. But she introduced the word feckers to Star Trek <laughs> and I'm allowed to say that it is not the bad swear word so I'm allowed to say that one uh, cheeky feckers and I love it and I love so many ones got that wrong online they're like oh my god she said the F word no she didn't she's Irish <laughs> uh. I'm just I'm just saying 
uh, Romulan, regardless of what Picard did to that lore, uh, Tal Shiar agents that are now assistants for, or even just people who exist who hang out with Admiral Picard or former Admiral Picard, the stories write themselves. That's all I'm saying. You know, not to derail the news topic, but Michael Shabon, uh, Shabon, the guy who created Shabon, the series, yeah. uh, he gave an interview after season one wrapped, uh, and he he talked about sort of like the uh, the unused version of Picard would have been Picard and Laris solving mysteries in the bar, and <laughs> I, I, I like actually really mourn that version of the of the series, the the more you know stripped down just chilling with Picard and, and Laris would have been a good show I'm here for that Like I, I am here for that if we get that see. if we get any of that in season 2 I'm delighted so that we are getting in season 2 this is not so much news because we knew it was coming but just in that it's sort of somewhat slightly more confirmed than it was uh, Whoopi Goldberg has said that yes she will be back as Guinan uh, she did suggest that it won't be a very large part so it could be um, you know, a part of an episode, like nowhere near as big as, say, Seven of Nine's role. Um, but potentially the same size as Hugh's role. Hugh's role was not very big in terms of screen time, but it was still quite important. Okay, so <laughs> and uh, so we don't uh, we don't obviously know what is the uh, what they contain yet but five episodes five scripts seem to have they've broken the back on them uh patrick stewart again in this interview says that he has seen five scripts for the season now, as we know there was 10 episodes in season one so if they stick with the same we're going to like half the season has been at least written anyway um now that raised a couple of eyebrows like what else have you been doing this year because you haven't been out making television but again so but anyway so we're five episodes hopefully closer to the season being done i guess i'm already looking to the end of season two it hasn't even started filming yet um so that's all we have really for news so far for say picard uh no news for you on strange new worlds no news for you on discovery um can i bring up something if you can yeah discover so something interesting happened with discovery season three uh the production they actually renamed it uh, I don't know if you guys saw this or whatever, but it went from Discovery Seasons 3 to Mill Street or something in uh, the industry article. And I can send this, guys, to you so you can confirm it. So Please, you yeah. keep it in the... Um, what's interesting about that is generally when you do a name change like that, you're... Um, there's a myriad of reasons, but one of them can be that you're trying to... Uh, do some things behind the scenes and show some really cool stuff that'll be coming out, like some some things you really don't want to be spoil, uh, spoiled. Kind of like a Green Harvest situation where uh, oh, yeah. I think that was Star Wars name, so, you, so they don't want to give it away. So I'll send that to you so that we can so that you can keep this in. But yeah, they uh, in some of the industry news it moved to Mill Street, and uh, generally you do that in the industry when you don't want spoilers. Okay, you coming out. Yeah, and that led to I mean I assume. This is what led to people rumor mongering that the show had been canceled. Oh, oh yeah, people not. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to stay yeah. away from that because I, I don't know when it comes to the podcast. But yeah, oh yeah, people who have no idea how industry the industry works were all like, it's gone, it's been canceled. Why would they change the name? But I, I think it's we're going to see some cool spoilers. Probably, or they're trying to prevent some cool spoilers. I honestly yeah. think. I think it's fitting that we're filming this on the 18th of January because I believe it was canceled 18 times today. Uh, they yeah. woke up, cancelled it, then they went for a coffee, brought it back. Um, well, Kurtzman destroys so many TVs that he gets fired every so often. That uh, the cost in TVs alone that he destroys from watching YouTube causes the issues. So and I, apparently, the sets went with those TVs because the the the, the, <laughs> the rumor mill would have you about, believe the sets have been torn down. Which, it's not the <laughs> 1960s. That's not how that they don't destroy sets any. They reuse. Oh man, because I I I went I've. I, had, I now I'm going to actually have my degree in a couple months and seeing behind the industry and how it works. It just doesn't work like that. They don't instantly throw everything away. These th- these sets cost millions of dollars. They're not going to scrap them, even if Discovery was... Ca- I'm sorry. You guys can get me ranting for a while. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, we, we'll be using this as a sound clip every time we see... Oh, they've taken it. No, 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 no. Play the clip. Play the clip. No. That's not how it works. Um, so, we well... So that kind of brings us up to where we are with the news. Uh, just two things I wanted to mark. This is not news. Just happy birthday, Star Trek Voyager. Turned 26 over the weekend. 
and uh, DS9 Homefront turned 25. That is highly disturbing because I vividly remember watching that episode for the first time and I'm not okay with remembering something from 25 years ago. But I do. (sighs) But that is it for the news for this week. All right, so that means it's time for uh, Cargo Bay 101. Uh, James, you're our guest, uh, so I'm just going to explain to you what Cargo Bay 101 is as though you've never watched our podcast, which is ridiculous because you're on the podcast, so of course you've been watching it every week, and you know exactly how this works, right? So Cargo Bay 101 is a segment where we take something from the Star Trek franchise, either past or present, that we would like to extract from its history or just like cut off at the knees and stop them from repeating. And we debate it a little bit. And if we come to a consensus, then we chuck it out the airlock and it's gone for good. So, uh, yeah, we talked about a couple of options before, but I really think we could focus on how episode one, season three is the epitome of like discovery season one, and it should be completely ejected. Uh, given how many negative impacts it has on it uh, and the um, a bad first outing. And so if we got rid of that, how season three would be perfect. Okay, well, if that's your choice, I'd love to hear <laughs> wh- why you think that uh, uh, that Hope Is You Part 1 detracts from season three. I So here's... It's interesting having this discussion because... I, I really like and believe in nuance. And I think when you look at Trek, um, Trek, when people really like it and really enjoy it, there's a couple of staples that occur. Uh, one of the interesting things Discovery did in season one, because Star Trek does try new things. And I think that's great. I think it's, it's wonderful they do that. And their focus this time was going to be on one person. Uh, it wasn't going to be an ensemble like it usually is. Now, you can look at DS9. That had a huge focus on Cisco. So it's not like they haven't done something like this, but it's still ensemble. This one was a full-on, this is our character, right? I would argue that the season three, the reason why season three is so great is that it is more like DS9 than it is like Discovery season one, except for episode one, which completely focuses on... Um, it completely focuses on Michael to the point that things make absolutely no sense. Now, a shuttle in uh, Star Trek, even 2020 Star Trek, can hit a boulder, and or not a boulder, we'll say even a tiny pebble, and they got to worry about a warp core breach, even when there aren't even warp cores in shuttles. Uh, but our girl can jump in this suit, hit a ship straight on, crash land onto a planet, and... and we're just we're all right we're just we're just okay and it goes back i think it it has a lot of to do with the way they're writing too because just so much stuff happens it just keeps going and going and going and going and it just it's rushed it doesn't make a a ton of sense we um what's some of the things the uh she gets eaten by a monster and when she gets eaten by it it's okay she'll be fine the monster just throws her up but if he eats all the Mm. other guys they're instantly dead not even to mention this slug, which, by the way, is was was just great to look at, is like he he ate his body's his body weight in like creatures by that point. I'm just saying there's just a lot that I didn't like with it. I think it I think it detracted and I think it was really, really reminded me of um, season one. In fact, if you guys go to my channel and you look at it and I got a lot of hate for this. Uh, when I first watched the first episode, I was like, thanks. I hate it. And uh, yeah, Good but after, out. but yeah, but then, but again, I I, I liked a lo- I like season three after that. But so those are my thoughts. This you know this is a cargo bay one on one first because uh, we're not all three going to be nodding our heads in agreement because I totally disagree with you and I I, I think that uh, that hope is you and far from home the two basically the two premiere episodes of the season that were kind of like bifurcated into two episodes telling two different stories, but basically the same story, right? Um, I think that they're among the strongest in terms of the reset button that we got after season two. I think that there are interesting sort of like uh, tone poems that kind of like get us going into season three and without them, 
um, we would just be kind of jumping back into, well, the Federation is basically the same as it always has been, but we're going to say that it's been hobbled by its lack of dilithium. You know, like, I don't think that um, the Federation, as it's, it was portrayed in Season 3, was convincingly, um, you know, disabled by the burn, but the the few episodes that led into us re, re, reuniting with the Federation did a good job of establishing the 32nd century as kind of like a rough and tumble wild west and that hope is you part one is the beginning of you know that like world building that kind of fell off after a while see here's here's what i'm going to say here's where i'm going to disagree with you let's remove that hope is you because i think it gives all of the cards away it tells you exactly what's going to happen let's just eject that hope is you and start with far from home let me set the. Let me set it for you. Let me. Let me set the. Let me hear you. Here we go. Here we go. All right. Okay, cool. All right. Here we go. We have the discovery. It. It. It comes out. Uh, it comes into this wasteland. We see that it. It's hitting debris that we know or we can tell are Starfleet uh, vessels. Or even if we can't, we'll have a little bit of dialogue. Say, what? What are we running into? It's like they have Starfleet Federation symbols. They got no idea what's going on they land on the ice. We have generally the same episode we did before. We don't know what's going on. Space Negan comes up and he says, you know, the destruction of the Federation was the best thing that, that ever happened. What What the, the destruction? Because as the audience, we wouldn't know this either. So we'd be like, what, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. Imagine how much more impactful Far From Home would have been if you eject that that hope is you and then you can even have michael come in and then fill in the gaps or have those conversations and interestingly one thing i might be okay with is taking that hope is you and making them flashbacks and putting them throughout the entirety of the series seeing what she was doing in the background showing how she was changed I mean, I just disagree with you. I think that uh, <laughs> the early episodes in season three were stronger than the back half, so I, I think that it would be a mistake to lose to lose those, even one. Uh, okay, now so now I feel terrible because I'm the swing vote. Uh, so um, I don't know. See, I have I've, I've no, maintained that my hope done. is that, that my vote. hope that the your the hope is you part one was probably one of my favorite episodes of the season. Um, but James, I really do agree that it would have worked well as flashbacks. Now, I think we missed uh, a lot in season three in terms of what Burnham did for that year. Um, I think, I think, like we need that going into season four. Show us some more. Show us some of her teaching theories because it was kind of skipped over. Oh, I do like the idea of it just opening with discovery, but then you lose uh, Aditya uh, Sail. And no, you don't. You include ID just say hill. This is really this is what I'm saying. It just gives everything away, so it's just a poorly put together episode. What you do is Michael comes and saves the day. They're like, "Where the hell is the Federation? What's going on?" And then they t- she takes him back. She takes them to Izegis Zahil. I'm horrible with names. She takes him back to the communications guy, right? And he becomes a much more stronger character. And they even expand on him. He can can talk about this. He can give them information. He can be like the point of origin for them. They actually use him more, expand his role. Um, You know, the one thing I was, I thought they might do, which would have been interesting. I would have loved to see is the, that hope is you part one. You notice that part one. I, I was almost for sure before I saw it that episode 13 was going to be That Hope Is You Part 2. And then I, I hoped they weren't going to do some wacky timeline hijinks where she stops the burn. I think somehow. some of us were expecting, yeah, thought I, that I, was I'm coming. Glad yeah. they, I'm glad they didn't do that, but it might have made it more powerful for me is That Hope Is You Part 2 at episode 13 and they tied in that planet somehow or something like that because it starts there. It starts with people who have been destroyed and that they were just looking for the Federation. They always knew they were going to come back. Another plot line we've never really they haven't addressed yet they hope they're going to come back and then they actually do and then that's just a a huge part of it again it's just a one-off that gives information it doesn't really i don't feel like it it ties into it i will say i wasn't a fan of it when i first saw it but the more uh i think about it and the more i see it over and over again michael being high it's kind of it's kind like that's of, it. I, yeah. Do, 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 you know what, do you know what I will say? All right. So to to put a cap on this, I am gonna throw her in a spacesuit while she's high, 
blast that hope is you part one out into space but she is safe in her environmental suit high burnham high <laughs> burnham so I'm high afraid, burnham so i'm afraid rewriting the beginning of season three and just extracting minor elements out of something that you want to put into cargo bay 101 falls outside the bounds of cargo bay 101 so <laughs> i just don't uh, think uh, that works this way it's Our okay programmable game manager. doesn't work this way yeah, yeah. yeah. Pro, pro, pro. <laughs> that we've never set rules for up until this point now. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that, it, it, and the, this is just where we disagree, and I'm glad to be the first. Of course, people who know my channel probably know that's the way I am. I'm very controversial and stuff. I just think it would have been a lot more powerful if you had started with Far From Home and then put the elements of that hope is you into it. Either that or, at the end, tie it all together. Tie it like... I don't know how you would have done this. This is just me doing, but tie the burn to that planet as well as the nursery and the rhyme. Mm. And and if I was writing it, again, this is off the top of my head, so it's going to have holes, but I would have that rhyme have originated from that planet, that not rhyme, the song that everyone knows, yeah. and yeah. then tie those things together and make it so that you see those ships. I swear those ships look like Federation ships. Make that mean something. But... Yeah, you know, that's that's the great thing about uh, Star Trek. It has diversity. That is true. Mm-hmm. One might even say it has infinite diversity. Ah, there we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to open the airlock doors, but I don't think there's a consensus as to what happened. So, who knows if the force field is down or not? Yeah, is there like um, is there an is there a uh, airlock fail sound that Chris can put in here for us? Like the like the Price is Right sound when you get an answer wrong. We are going to find out when this thing airs. There will either be a noise or there won't. <laughs> you know what they should? What he should do though? It should be uh, like uh, just leave it open. Like they, uh, I don't. I, I obviously watch it all the time, so I know exactly what it looks like when you guys do this. So, but yeah. uh, it like glitches out, and you don't know if it ever really does or not. It's just, it's just there in silence. You never know. I like that. This is our first mystery cargo yeah. bay 101 and that fits with season three because that's all that's what they did the mystery, mystery box yeah yeah tune in next week for a very unsatisfying conclusion to this cargo bay 101 <laughs> but anyway that brings us up to time on this week's episode uh James, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Uh, really, really appreciate it. Like, without question, have you back in a heartbeat. Uh, if sure. you if you would like to come back, there is an open cargo bait that I believe is sitting there. There's no guards on it. You come in as soon as you want. Yeah, it's like Discovery's shuttle bait. It's just hanging wide open. Yeah, that really bothers me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really and, bothers and, me. And, yeah, and Discovery gets into so many fights, and it's just a, a shield there, and people just walking around like they don't like like uh, force fields have never failed before or anything like that. That has to be the worst job. Mandatory. <laughs> please wear environmental suits when operating in this bay. Uh, but well, look, Jake. Obviously, uh, people want to. So your username is pretty on this. But if people want to reach out and find you, how and where can they find you online? Uh, yeah, I would say go to uh, youtube.com forward slash Laura Reloaded. Um, the only thing else I'll say is that if you're if you're watching this and you're interested in checking it out, um, the motto of my channel is it's a conversation. So I try to have conversations. And so you'll find stuff that you may disagree with. You'll find stuff that you may agree with. And I, d- I don't worry about um, – well, that's not fair to say. I, uh, I'm open to controversial topics. And so uh, I guess – if those things can bug you, just just make sure you watch for that trigger warning or whatever. But yeah, I'd definitely love to come to have you. And again, almost every topic uh, can be discussed, especially with Trek. Excellent. Yeah, delighted. Uh, I, lo- I love that. Um, it should be a conversation. I think we're firm believers of that here. Yeah, um, you know, and, and James, well, I, I really appreciated having somebody on here uh, slightly more contrarian than myself. Oh, well, sure. That's one thing I'm known for, so I'm glad I'm, I'm glad I could be here. I'm glad. Paul, don't insult the guest. Like, I mean... It's good. It's like, James, I'm, I'm so glad someone who likes to fight is here and you know, is constantly interrupting us. It's just, it's just so wonderful to always have an American on. I just want to thank you for that, so... I'm just so tired of winning arguments with Sean, you know, so... 
That's because I'm the happy little puppy over in the corner that I just love everything. It's all great, except the burn. Um, look, thank you very much. Obviously, um, you can find us at Trek Culture on Twitter. Please jump in. Please, any com- any comments, any feedback you have about this, please drop it in the comments below. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Polly, obviously, where can people find you online? Uh, at Paul Sutherland on Twitter. It's not a conversation. My tweets are doctrine, unless I delete them. Uh, that is actually true. Uh, even getting him to appear on this takes about four hours and a promise of whiskey. Uh, you can find me at Sean Farrick on Twitter as well. Uh, James, once more, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. I had a great time. Right. Likewise. Uh, guys, we'll see you next week and live long and prosper. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.